Welcome to the Center for the Advancement of Virtual Organizations podcast, Resilience and Wellness for Virtual Organizations. I'm Erin Hoffer, and today we're joined by Emily Green, a three-time CEO who serves on several corporate boards and coaches entrepreneurs on growth, teams, planning, financing, boards, and leadership. Emily is a mover and shaker in a range of industries from technology to construction, with the wins and the scars to prove it. Emily, welcome. Thanks again for coming to chat with us and share your insights about the way people can overcome the challenges that we are facing in business today. To get started, could you please tell us a little bit more about the companies that you work with? Sure. It's one of the things I really love about the life I have now, my professional life. I serve on four corporate boards. Two of those companies are public companies. Uh, so they have revenues in the hundreds of millions of dollars a year and thousands of employees. And two of the companies whose boards I'm on are privately held. One is a construction company that's also in the hundreds of millions. And then one of the the fourth company whose board I'm on is quite small, and they haven't yet even done a million dollars in revenue. And I advise a lot of startups, who some of whom have yet to sell their first dollar of anything, and a couple that are in the tens of millions. So there's quite a range. That's an amazing scope, and it's helpful for the audience so focused on virtual organizations. So my next question Given the breadth of your perspective on business today, what are the new challenges that you see companies facing? It's probably in phases now. In the first couple of weeks, as the crisis really bloomed, particularly in the U.S., uh, the, the nature of the challenges of the companies I work with is quite different than in what it is now. There was the response period. This is happening. What are we going to do? Are our employees safe? Um, who do we need to talk to? How do we communicate with each other? So there was a lot of hustling and uh, drama in the first couple of weeks, a lot of tumult, I would say, chaos with a couple of companies. And then all of that stuff has settled down. Every every company has found a way to work now, but um, it's facing different challenges. I, I think it, I'm answering maybe a different question, but... Um, I'm already seeing that this crisis has has been a, has had a silver lining for some of the companies I help. One of the larger companies that I'm on the board of uh, has been around for 30 years, is very old-fashioned, and has a call center operation that I have said many times over the past couple of years, you know, you could virtualize that call center operation because they have trouble keeping employees and finding people that want to do the work in the town where it's based. And they kept explaining to me why that wouldn't work. And in less than six days, when the crisis hit, guess what they did? They virtualized their call center. And I said to them this last week, are you going to maintain that? And they said, oh, yeah, it's the greatest thing. It's so awesome. You know, people can work the hours they want, and we don't have as much trouble with the shift. And, and um, we just had to make sure people had the right equipment at home and had the right software. But it's been remarkable. And people are so productive. And they're suddenly relating to me the advantages of a virtual 
operation, which I tried to tell them about for two years. But you asked me about what are the biggest crises. I think my small companies, the biggest crises they have right now is funding. Because um, a number of the early stage companies that I work with aren't uh, cash flow positive yet, right? Their their costs are greater than their income. And uh, the money that they need is made up for by usually investors. And um, it's very tough right now for them to get follow-on investments. So they're trying to figure out how to make their money last. Fascinating. So does this mean that... Uh your client companies are pivoting, coming up with new ideas for short-term revenues in the light of the current crisis? Some, yeah. One, one company that uh, had not even begun to generate revenue yet, but was working in an innovation in three-dimensional printing, uh, has figured out how to print three-dimensional swabs for um, coronavirus testing. And they're generating revenue now, and they had actually had no plans to generate revenue until later this year. So they've they've really impressed their investors with their ability to sort of respond quickly. Um, I was on a Zoom call with the CEO the other day, and I saw a lump in the background of the shot. I didn't know what it was. And I said, what's that lump behind you? And it was a sleeping bag. Good one. So that raises an interesting question. What are you seeing companies doing in recasting what they do for a virtual world? Two mid-sized startups I help. Mid-sized startup is kind of an odd phrase, but they're both in the sort of 20 to $30 million a year range. So they're making money and they're profitable. Um, they're both uh, changing their software operations for their customers. They sell software to enterprises and they're both looking at their enterprise customers and realizing that their enterprise clients own workforces are now virtual and how does that change the functionality that they need? And so they've been reframing the software feature strategies they have as they develop the product. They have a whole list of features they want to add to the product and they've been reprioritizing the feature sets to be more responsive to the fact that their clients are now uh, working remotely more than they had. I have another company that was selling um, a product for women on university campuses to provide uh, more safety for women in a campus setting. And they can't do anything right now. Um, and they don't have an obvious pivot right now. And so they're researching alternatives and they just went to quiet mode. They shut down all their operations. They let go most of their employees and they're just trying to um, hibernate until the world restores some sort of external activity where people need the kind of thing that they have. And now that many parts of the country are opening back up again for different types of businesses, what changes do you see your clients making to take advantage of this? Well, a lot of them now are moving to uh, uh, business resumption planning. You know, what, what, how do we restore? And um, a lot of them don't feel like they're getting a tremendous amount of guidance or else very consistent guidance from local uh, and state federal governments. And so they're trying to figure this out on their own and they're coming up with plans and they're saying, well, you know, when do we want to let people back in the office? Uh, what's the density of the office population we want? How should we reorganize desks? How, 
What should our cleaning standards be? Um, what uh, additional business liability should we be carrying in case employees are concerned that, uh, you know, we're going to make them sick? Are we going to require employees to come back or make it optional? Um, do we break the staff into teams and say, you know, team A comes in on Mondays and Thursdays and team B comes in on Wednesdays and Fridays? Um, they're trying to figure out how they restore some some sort of um, in-person activities. But I, I don't think I know a single company that's expecting that there's going to be a day where they can say, great, it's all back to normal. Well, and the tech company has, the tech sector in general, I think, has a big advantage on this because so many startup tech companies are, are either fully or, or partially virtual already. They're, they avoid renting office space until they really need it or that they have a reason for it. And one of the companies I coach has been entirely virtual since the day it started, and they have something called Work Together Wednesday. And for the last two years, they, they're in the Boston area and they call, all come into a uh, coffee shop in, um, in Boston on Wednesdays. They get a table and they work there together and they have lunch together and then they have uh, a happy hour together in person. So they've never had a culture of being in an office. The need to get people together on Wednesdays brings to mind another question I'd like to ask you. Resilience. Tell me what you see out there. How are people dealing with all these rapid changes? What are the health and wellness impacts on the organization? Yeah, yeah, that's a great topic because, again, in the first couple of weeks of this panic, we're sheltering in place, we're shutting down. It was the last thing anybody thought about. It was, you know, how do we get people the laptops they need? And can I get back into the office to get my monitor? And now that we've sort of settled into, for some people, two or three months of, of work at home, we're starting to see the, the uh, mental health issues. And uh, resilience is a is a huge factor. And it's not the first time a lot of people have needed resilience in the workplace. You know, resilience comes into play with any kind of crisis in a work environment. And, uh, you know, it allows you to survive and get through the messy middle and out to the other side. I've seen some really creative things. Um, I've seen companies sending jigsaw puzzles to employees just to say, hey, I'm thinking about you. I've seen companies, uh, one company here in Boston sent out uh, pancakes and bacon, pancake kit to say, you know, have, have breakfast on us. Um, one company I just talked to yesterday is doing a daily drawing. They get everybody on the phone for 10 minutes and it's just to connect. And they have a, the CEO has a big wheel, like a wheel of fortune behind his screen. And he spins the wheel and somebody gets $25 and it's $25 for a restaurant that's doing takeout. So it's a, it's a win-win. It's a gift to the employee and it's a way that the company is showing some support for, for, uh, local companies. Um, I've heard of people saying, you know, every other Friday, it's a half day. Just we're going to, we're going to quit at noon. We're taking off. Um, I've seen all kinds of cocktail parties, um, black tie cocktail parties, um, bring your pet or your kid parties, you know, show us your kid. I've seen a lot of people holding up babies, um, really acknowledging the complexity of people's lives, you know, not just mm -hmm. workers, but people. 
I have talked with with uh, one organization about actually resilience conversation, really calling out the what is the quality of resilience, getting people to talk about it, and getting people to offer up a personal inventory of resilience. We talked with um, with this one company the other day about uh, coming up with a resilience score and letting people talk about how they feel because people's feelings are as a authentic as everything else that's happening to them, right? And saying, okay, if five is I'm so resilient, I feel like Superman, I could, you know, break through any barriers today. And zero is I can't even spell the word resilience. So let's go around the room and everybody say, and I say, I'm a three because I didn't sleep well and my kids are making me crazy. And and people get a chance to acknowledge their feelings. And I have seen people also talk about um, resilience commitments. What can you do to cultivate resilience? What promise can you make to yourself today that will make you more resilient? I'm going to try to, you know, start a gratitude journey, or I'm going to try to get outside for a walk every day, or, you know, I'm going to do something in the physical, mental, emotional, social spaces that helps cultivate that that feeling that I can get through this. Interesting. How about physical activity, promoting movement, exercise? Well, I started to see over the last year or two, more often in, in the startup sector in particular, people would tell me that they would take a walk for a meeting with a one-on-one. You know, we went for a coffee walk. The two of us went to get coffee and we talked and it was a deliberate choice. We're going to talk about something but we're going to walk out of the office and we're going to be talking together. And I, I sometimes think those, the hardest conversations are, are good to have in those situations because you're not sitting across a table face to face and doesn't have the same level of um, potential combativeness. It has maybe a more collaborative feel. Earlier when we were preparing for this podcast, you used a great term that I love, pandemic slammed versus bruising. I wondered if you could shed some light for the audience on what you see in terms of the types of companies that might be able to respond or bounce back more quickly. I think it's a mix. I mean, certainly just looking at the industry, the sectors that companies are in will tell you a lot about how hard they're having it right now, right? Uh, Hospitality versus uh, you know, enterprise software, totally different story. And a few of my companies are, you know, they're having a softer couple of months in sales, but not dramatic impacts otherwise. So they're, they're, they're only lightly bruised because of the, the, the nature of what they sell and who they sell it to. But I do think, um, leadership teams have a huge impact on how companies respond. And I think it's speed. Because I think in a crisis, speed is way more important than than perfect, right? You know, that expression, great is the enemy of good. I spend a lot of time trying to get startup people to understand that because they want their product to be amazing and perfect. And I want them to have a perfectly amazing product. But usually they'll burn through a ton of time to get there. And in a crisis, the ability to think fast and to say, this isn't going to be perfect. But we've got to be decisive and to trust yourself and to move quickly. Um, and I think leaders who are authentic leaders who are willing to say to employees, I don't know, I'm not sure, 
we're going to have to figure it out. We'll keep you posted. You know, the people who are willing to be honest about the lack of certainty, um, I think, have a better chance of um, reacting quickly. And I, I, um, one of the companies I work with has just gone through a very challenging turnaround. So they had to rethink their corporate strategy and their sources of funding and who their customers are. They went through a lot of really hard work, and that brought the leadership team together very closely. So the CEO, the CFO, the COO, they are a a, a triumvirate that, you know, there's no white space between what any of them are thinking or doing, and they are really well aligned. And so they dove into the crisis very, very quickly. That brings up the really excellent topic of leadership, leadership styles. What do you see out there and how do these approaches to leadership impact how companies can weather this challenging time? I see a lot of different styles. Um, I mean, I, I mentioned the company that didn't think a call center could be virtualized, very command and control, very top-down, um, centralized uh, decision-making um, the leaders have to have all the answers and the people underneath them don't, don't provide answers. They get the answers and, and put those answers to work. Maybe, maybe more 20th century style, I would say. Uh, in the startup sector, partly because most of the entrepreneurs that are starting companies are much, much younger than me, decades <laughs> younger. Uh, and so they have a more contemporary understanding. They expect uh, a more collaborative environment, more flat in structure, uh, mm-hmm. less hierarchy. And um, I think it's more clear to them that there's no possible way they could have all the answers. And so they're more solicitous. They're more likely to engage people in answers and more likely to distribute power more broadly. So it's very, very different. And I I would say one of the challenging things about my life is moving from going to a board meeting with this very strong command and control, old school approach. And then, you know, the next morning being in a conversation with a couple of 20 somethings who are getting a company off the ground and recognizing that I've got to adapt my own advice to match a very different context. I see a fair amount of that. And at the old school command and control company, they have young employees who expect to be involved and don't understand why they're not in the meeting and want to bring ideas forth and want to volunteer for things. And um, the older uh, managers are just not accustomed to that. Who, who asked you? Who invited you? you know, wait your turn. You know, you're, you're, uh, yeah, you're a little bit, um, you know, ahead of yourself. And, um, but I, I have seen other people who find that really, really energizing that that the mix of perspectives and and uh, generational attitudes is really uh, quite fresh. Excellent. Now, for the last question, please give the listeners some of your advice. How would you coach them about facing careers in this new world? On a business. Uh, front, I would say it's all about scenario planning, right? Scenario is planning, I think, is an incredibly useful tool in an environment that's as uncertain as this one is, where you say, okay, I'm going to take three models for the future, right? And what are the key variables that would affect my business's uh, 
opportunity to be successful. It's, you know, whether people are out and about, uh, whether universities have uh, resumed on-campus activities, whatever the main factors are, and say, one scenario is it all happens, uh, you know, as A, B, and C, here's a second scenario, and here's a third scenario. And, and the reality is it won't fit into any one of those scenarios perfectly, but to um, catalyze your own thinking about what would, how would we respond under each of these three scenarios? And to very quickly think, was there, is our business model going to be any different? Will our customers be different? Will our pricing be different? What, what resources will we need and when to respond to that and to have a little bit of a skeleton of what the business would, how the business would shift under each one of those scenarios? And then to try to figure out which of the scenarios at the moment seems the most likely, start working towards that model, but to keep your eye on the future and say, well, if things change, we might have to move to scenario B or scenario C. Um, on a personal level, there's going to be work out there. There is work out there. Um, and I think people that are just arriving in the workforce maybe it's daunting because the jobs they thought might be there won't look the same and won't feel the same in place. But um, there are a lot of companies that are going to be looking for uh, uh, creative ways to rebuild their workforce. So if you can work part-time or if you can work on a contract basis, if you can start to pull together a mix of activities, start trying to find project-based work, um, I think internships and um, uh, temporary positions, a lot of companies will be very tentative. They'll be taking small steps towards resuming spending and trying to find ways that you might be able to um, stage your way into work as companies stage their way back to a workforce. That's outstanding advice. Emily, thank you so much for bringing this in-depth and thoughtful point of view for joining us today in support of the Center for the Advancement of Virtual Organizations. We truly appreciate your insights, and we know our listeners will benefit from your experience. Mm -hmm.